Picture this. It's the early 2000s, a time when the internet was still figuring itself out and online gaming was stepping into uncharted territories. In this blossoming digital landscape, Cyan Worlds, the brilliant minds behind the iconic Myst series, decided to push the boundaries of gaming even further by bringing the Myst universe into the online realm. Players were promised a vast, immersive experience where they could explore new ages, solve mind-bending puzzles, and interact with a growing community of fellow adventurers. But things did not go as planned, and the development of Myst Online became an adventure in itself. Today, we're going to revisit the development studio Cyan Worlds and talk about the development cycle and legacy of Myst Online Uru Live. The journey of Myst Online is a roller coaster of highs and lows, a testament to the secrets of their own digital odyssey. Stick around as we delve deeper into the realms of Myst Online. It's a tale of resilience, community spirit, and a touch of that classic Myst magic. Join us and keep the adventure rolling on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 181st episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, and likely the people who created it. It can be about a gaming console, and the the technology that allowed it to happen. More often than not, it's also about the companies that make it all happen. Our stories bring everything together. While bringing you these stories, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're going to learn all about Mist Online Uru Live, which was originally released for Windows back in... It's a, it's a testy story, but let's say 2007 eventually. Eventually. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who likes going around random dig sites and finding random things. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what did you find today? I found a nickel. You found a nickel? Was it a yeah. buffalo nickel? No, it was just a normal one. But hey, still. That's not Five fun. cents. Three more than I had. That's... <laughs> God damn it. Okay, fair enough. But what if you put your two cents on top of two cents and then add one cents to that? You get a nickel. No, Dave. You get five pennies. You do get five pennies. Well... Tell us, Rob, what are some highlights from this week in gaming history? Well, Dave, 33 years ago in 1991, DMA Design released Lemmings, the puzzle title whose success helped fund the development of the original Grand Theft Auto. We've discussed both of these games in previous episodes, Lemmings in 129 and GTA in 112. Let's go check them out. 26 years ago in 98, Square released Xenogears in Japan. It originally started out as a sequel to Chrono Trigger, but soon evolved into something totally unique. We did a whole episode on it a year ago, episode 128, which of course 
you can listen to anywhere you can listen to your podcasts. Yeah, that's a weird game. Indeed. We did that one with Adam. That's like one of his favorite games. Yeah, but I mean, hey, you know, everyone's got a thing. They do. Clearly on a roll, a year later to the day in 1999, Square released Final Fantasy VIII. It was actually the fastest selling Final Fantasy title in the series until the release of 13, 10 years later. Everyone was really geared up after 7 was so successful and well loved and we were all excited to see what's next. I mean, you know, it it makes sense. 7 was fantastic. 8 did not. Eight did not surpass it for me. Seven. Oh, seven. I I know that there, it, that kind of <laughs> dies off after seven. It's it's known, but you know, yeah, yeah. So in yeah. two thousand five, which was nineteen years ago, Microsoft announced that they would voluntarily replace the power cords on over fourteen million Xbox consoles. Why? Because they Why? could potentially pose a fire hazard to its users. I don't remember. I remember the recall, but I don't remember if any actually caught on fire. I don't know. I didn't actually know about that one. I never had an original Xbox, so... Meh. Meh. It was 18 years ago in 2006 that the Star Wars-themed real-time strategy game Star Wars Empire at War was released for Windows. You've still never played that one. I have not. It's literally giant space battles with, like, galactic star cruisers and TIE fighters and so on and so forth. I just gotta find it and download it, that's all. Yeah, I have the physical version. I don't even know. Well, I mean, it wouldn't work. <laughs> I don't have a CD-ROM drive anymore. Oh, <laughs> Come on. External ones. They're easy. Yeah, whatever. You can put them away. Yeah. So in 2007, 17 years ago, Professor Layton and the Curious Village was released in Japan for the Nintendo DS. We looked at the whole series and the books that inspired it way back in episode 77. It's an interesting tale, so give it a listen. We did that one with one of your friends would it probably have been Kiefer, but yeah. I, didn't, I don't remember him being part of Layton. I don't know. Someone was Layton, weren't they? I don't know. It was, it was, it was Ace Attorney, wasn't it? Yes, it was Phoenix Wright. It was Phoenix Wright. Yeah, that's 100% Kiefer was in for that one. Yeah, yeah. Nope, we did Professor Layton on our lonesome. Yep, mm. that's true. <clears throat> So in 2012, which at this point is 12 years ago, Mm. the team at Eat, Sleep, Play and Sony released the most recent entry in the Twisted Metal series, which we covered the history of that series about three months ago in 167, where we talked about the whole series and the offshoots like the TV show. So give that a listen. We covered the whole evolution from greatness to whatever this was. (laughs) Because neither of us really played much of it. Yeah, no, but, eh, eh, you know, we'll see if they get a resurgence with the show. In 2014, The Texorcist, the story of Ray Bibia, was released for Windows. This hybrid bullet hell and typing game follows an ex-priest who is also an exorcist. We did a whole episode on typing games back in episode 131, so if you're interested in learning about them, give it a listen. I found out that we both own this as part of a humble bundle after we recorded that episode nice that's awesome to know now yeah i'm pretty sure we both own this one at least i own it as part of a humble bundle i think so nice 
So eight years ago in 2016, Street Fighter V was released for PS4 and Windows. Yeah, yeah. I haven't played much Street Fighter after the second one. <laughs> Admittedly, same. Uh, I think four was would have been it for me, actually. So I, I did play four, but that was like the only one. So what are they on six now? Seven, six? Not really certain, honestly. Okay. All I just right, know well, the new Tekken got released, so yeah. Not, neither one of us are big in fighting games, obviously. Well, I, I like Tekken a lot more than I like Street Fighter. Fair so. enough. Me too. And Dave, to top it off, three years ago, mm-hmm. Only Can's Thirst Date was released to the world. <laughs> was it now? It was, Dave. And this comedic rhythm game has you take erotic photographs of a diverse array of none other than soda cans. Nice. So as you progress throughout the game, you learn more about the parent soda company and what happened to its owners. So that kind of stuff interests you. Go give it a play. Yeah, it it does. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, soda okay. cans. Clearly Dave knows. Clearly soda cans. Clearly soda cans do it for me, apparently. Apparently they do. So Dave, with that, let's talk about our game today. Yes, let's talk about our game. So we first looked back at Cyan Worlds back in episode 160. They are, of course, the creators of Myst, one of the best-selling video games for years upon years upon years. It's a game that almost single-handedly accelerated the growth of CD-ROM adoption throughout the world. I say almost because there were other CD-ROM games that uh, contributed to it. But, but, Mist was definitely the, the, the one. That was the best-selling game. Actually, until The Sims came around. Really briefly, you can cover this all in depth if you go back to that episode, but Cyan Worlds was founded by Rand and Robin Miller, uh, a pair of brothers in their parents' basement, circa 1987. One of them was a programmer, the other was an artist, and they found common ground in making games together on something called the Apple HyperCard language, which is basically kind of what the internet is now. Like, to put it into perspective, it was they were like index cards, and every index card you could type stuff or put a picture or put a video, and then you could have a link to another index card which had the same. It was... a early version of PowerPoint, but essentially hypercard like that type of language, that multimedia language is what is what the internet became. So they found common ground making games using hypercard. Originally they had made some games for children, a bunch. And then after a while they decided that they wanted to make an adventure game for adults. And that was missed. Mist was released to the world in 1993. Um, like I said, incredibly successful. Was the literally the best-selling PC game by the numbers until The Sims came out in 2002. And, of course, a game that sees that level of success will likely spawn a sequel, which it did. Uh, Cyan Worlds pretty much immediately began work on what's a game called Riven, which is the sequel to Mist. 
just after they released Mist and noted that it was going to be incredibly successful. Throughout the development of Riven, they ended up growing the team. Riven cost the company somewhere between five and ten million dollars uh, over the course of four years, so it was no small feat. Turns out that was money that was all well spent because Riven was also a successful title for Cyan Worlds once they released it in 1997. Over the next few years, it would sell millions of copies, which is really no surprise if you think about it. I mean, the Mist was the most successful, best you know, best-selling PC game for what eight years? Eight years, roughly. Of course, every one of their monkey's uncle is going to want to play the next game by the same people, you know. Just by default, I think they were going to sell well in Riven. Um, and Riven was a good game. It took what Mist did and expanded on the lore of it, basically, which was which is a really great thing to do when you're in that genre. So after Riven came out, a decision was made, right? After a pair of incredibly successful games, the Mist series was on fire. And when you're on a roll like that, you definitely want to take advantage of all of that momentum. So there were further games in the Mist series that were kind of destined to be made, right? Right. <clears throat> you but know, you got you got to either try or ruin the franchise in the process. You know, but the first one was 93. Riven was 97. You know, it took them some time, I think a year or two to do Mist. They had been working on these games for the better part of a decade not quite but close enough right the next development cycle would literally take them into a decade and in that time you know the 90s is when the internet became a thing you know the i remember we first got aol in 1995 and you know over uh, literally i mean there's no way to put it the internet became an increasingly popular thing like that's when it started to move into everyone's households was over the 90s and people were making online games you had ultima online you had i mean early everquest was 99 so they were working that like that was a thing so basically the team at cyan they didn't want to make another single player game they wanted to make a massively multiplayer online game. So the development of Miss 3 was handed off to a company called Presto Studios because, of course, you can't not continue the main Miss series, right? Like, you got two incredibly successful games in it. It was kind of the, a type of story that was never really ever closed in those games. Um, again, puzzle games, lore-based. So, yeah. Mystery was going to be made, and that game was handed off, and the team at Cyan sat down to work on their new game. It began as a project that was codenamed DIRT, which stands for Dnee in real time. Eventually, it became Mud Pie, which is multi-user DIRT, Persistent personal interactive entertainment experience exploration or environment. That's a, a mouthful. Yeah, damn straight it is. So you know, 
from digging in the dirt to playing with mud pies. That was their thing. It makes sense. By this point, uh, Robin Miller had left the company, if I'm not mistaken. I think he left after Riven. So it was just Rand, Miller left, and the team. And they sought to make something that was completely different from the single-player experiences of Miss and Riven. They wanted to make a persistent world where things would incur even when the players were offline. Which, if you think about it, is kind of a feat even for today. <laughs> so, Yeah, definitely. Uh, we don't do large-scale persistent worlds that well. Because of the nature of large-scale, though. No one wants to... Everyone wants the same experience, I guess, in a video game. And if you make a persistent world where when one knucklehead breaks a box, it never exists again, you know, that'll piss people off who also want to break boxes, if that makes any sense. Sure, Dave. Sure, right? Good. We're talking about design here. It's fantastic. So... With that being said, they did not envision a game that was a typical massively multiplayer online game. In a 2003 Wired interview, Rand said, We don't consider this a massively multiplayer online game. I've played a lot of Dark Age of Camelot and it's loads of fun, but long run games like that aren't sustainable. At some point, you realize that you're doing the same things over and over and over. We wanted to create new places continuously and then add gameplay to them. We wanted to give players the option, not usually given in MMOGs, to either interact with others or to explore alone. Now, if you'll recall, Mist was an island, right? And on the island of Mist, players could find books that would link them to these mini worlds that were called Ages. Each age had a theme to it. On the island of Mist proper, the ages were the Selentic Age, the Stone Ship, the Mechanical, and the Channelwood Age. The second game in this series, Riven, followed the same theme. And they wanted to bring this to the online concept. So in a 2007 IGN interview, Rand said, There is no leveling and skills and monsters and experience in any artificial sense. The leveling is finding and exploring and owning new ages that are regularly released. The experience is what you really learn while exploring that will help you later, not points on a scale. Kind of sounds like he didn't know, like, he, you're, he's take there. I get what they wanted, right? They wanted to make a game that was about, let's just, let's just assume it's just like mist, right? So it's about puzzles and exploration, right? Is that what it yeah. seems like? Yep. But you're taking all the gamification out of it. Like, what's, like, I, I don't know any other way to put it. They're taking all the gamification out of it. If there is no gameplay loop, there is no leveling, there's no skills, there's no monsters, like, what are you doing? Like, it's a virtual world at that point. Right? Yeah. I, I don't know. But the thing of it is, is, it really was a game based on exploration and puzzles. They felt that this was a system that would cause players to care more so about being part of the story than normal. It was a system that would allow new players an opportunity to make discoveries and become a part of a larger community. In that same interview, 
Miller said, imagine a vast underground city that was long ago deserted and has been rediscovered. And from it come other from other and from it branch other worlds to explore. And amongst all that is a world that is entirely yours, your own small island in the clouds that begins to reflect what you've done and what you've seen, even keeping safe your links to your private instances of all the worlds you've been to so far. So he kind of envisioned like a hub where everything would come together. And that's, you know, your own room in the hub. They, it was your own personal age is what they called it. But it was like a house, you know, you could customize it and it would have your own story, so to speak. For the setting of this game, they were looking to do something completely different. Noted Rand, the game centered around the discovery of the ruins of a vast underground city found deep below the New Mexico desert in 1987. And he noted, if you find yourself down in the cavern, you'll find things you would expect. Generators, orange safety cones, other explorers in jeans and t-shirts, messages from the small group that is handling the restoration of this huge place. But also, you'll find the unexpected. Books that transport you to entirely new worlds. The frequent screams of mysterious dark creatures. Holographic beckoning and a request to take a journey. He was really selling this thing. Damn straight he was, man. (laughs) So, of course, this was all conceived as a multiplayer-only game, right? Where... On a typical multiplayer-only game model, subscription-based, they would charge subscriptions, they would use said money to create new puzzles that would be added monthly, new ages for people to explore over time, and that was their mindset. But, with that being said, their publisher, Ubisoft, demanded a single-player portion. And so that was tacked on during development. Development on what would later become Uru lasted a little over five years. It cost Ubisoft slash Cyan Worlds $12 million to complete. Wow. They had, towards the end, a public beta. Uh, It said that between 10 and 40,000 People participated in it over the course of the beta. I don't know why it's such a wide number, but that's what it said. And from all the feedback they got, work continued to wrap up on Uru. And the team at Cyan Worlds sought out to unleash something completely new onto the world. And speaking of completely new, are you looking to release your own podcast bringing your own flavor of newness to your listeners. This has never been easier. Thanks to the all in one suite of podcasting tools offered by our friends at Zencaster. With Zencaster, it's super easy to record a podcast. Everyone logs in using their web browser and you just start recording a high quality podcast right away. It allows you to record up to 4k video with your guests. And with Zencaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest quality recordings, even if the connection is unstable. And with Zencaster, you never have to worry about what you sound like. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It autom- automatically removes all those ums and ahs 
gets rid of those awkward pauses in conversation. You can set the right podcast loudness. You can reduce background noise. You can separate the tracks. You can do all this with just a click of a button. And if thought of podcasting overwhelms you because you think you need tons of different tools and services, relax. Those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. So if you'd like to start your own podcast, or maybe you want to take your current podcast to the next level, we've got a deal for you. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our offer code MemoryCardLane and you'll get 30% off the first month of any of Zencaster's paid plans. Sign up for Zencaster today and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high quality podcast as we do each week. Go out and share your ideas with the world. So, Uru was released in November of 2003 as Uru, Ages Beyond Mist. But the whole point of this game, the multiplayer element, what they had been working on since day one, was not released here in November 2003. It was delayed. What? What? So what players got was a single-player puzzle adventure game. But it was pretty much as advertised, right? In it, you had avatars. You could create your own avatar to explore an abandoned city of the ancient race. You uncover story clues. You solve puzzles. I mean, it was the game. It just wasn't multiplayer. Right. But in that 40 or so thousand people that played the public beta there was a core group of them that were super excited to go back there with their friends they all sat back and eagerly awaited the multiplayer component but it never came ubisoft canceled all plans for anything multiplayer missed in 2004 and they crushed their hopes and dreams Aww. Ubisoft cited the fact that they felt that there were not enough projected subscribers to support the online service. I found another article that said you could only get about 20 people on the servers before it would crash, which kind of really doesn't jive with the 40,000 public beta, but it is what it is. Uh, At this point, Cyan Worlds claimed that they were months away from fixing the problem when their money ran out, and Ubisoft would not front them anymore. So Uru, Ages Beyond Mist, as a single-player game, did not sell well. It was a commercial failure. They tried to continue to support it and improve it with some expansion packs. The first one, Uru Titani added the never-released Uru Live online content. So all the stuff that they made specifically for online, they just shoved into this single-player game. They did not charge people for that one, thankfully. (laughs) But then they had the audacity to release a paid expansion, which was called The Path of the Shell. In the meantime, there was a team at Cyan Worlds that was actually back 
developing another chapter in the Mist series. So when we last went to anything else, they had just given Mist 3 to Presto Studios. That came out. Then Mist 4 came out. And now here we are, and they are working on Mist 5, which is called The End of Ages. And while they're working on that, like I said, there's this little hardcore core of fans of Uru Live, the online component, that refuse to let it die. Somehow, they managed to get a few underground servers running. But they were really buggy, and it was not a great experience. They dubbed these servers Elkugs, which was a live-compatible Uru game service. It was very unstable, but they kept working on it over the summer of 2004. In August of 2004, Cyan introduces something called Until Uru. What they decided to do, thanks to the tenacity of these fans, was they actually gave them the binaries, the Linux... Um, binaries of these original Uru servers. Not the source code, just the binaries. And they say, figure out how to make these work with your stuff. But they also helped them set up an authentication server. Fans could go on this authentication server and purchase keys to work with those servers for a few dollars. So Elkugs and Cyan actually worked together to cobble the solution together and make it work. They use the servers, they adopt the authentication keys, and things kind of start to improve, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Things start to improve. In recognition of this, Cyan World starts to actually patch Ages Beyond Mist, the single player component and the multiplayer stuff. Elkugs in turn starts to incorporate the content from Ages Beyond Mist, like they get the, you know, the Tudini was already in there, but they find a way to get Path of the Shell content into the online component. So by the winter of 2004, things are really looking up for Uru Live, or now it's called Until Uru. And throughout 2005, there's this group of really dedicated fans that actually create a fan-made age for Uru. They call themselves the Age Builders Group. And so now we have fan-created content that is being added to this. I mean, it's like a Frankenstein game at this point, right? It's got no official support, technically. You know, Cyan just kind of said, well, if our publisher won't do it, we're going to kind of give you these tools to kind of make it work. And the fans took it and ran with it. So Mist 5. End of Ages is released in September of 2005 and Cyan pretty much loses all of its funding immediately afterwards. It is forced to lay everyone off except for I think the founder and they shut their doors. A week later they announce that they found some mysterious new investor and they hire everybody back. What a roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah honestly geez can you imagine though like here we go we release a new game bye everybody like literally they, they had to lay off the whole company they they lost their like ubisoft pulled out they lost all their funding they had no choice 
they got them as far to release it and then said we're done i mean what else are they gonna do you know yeah who knows so yeah so they found a mysterious investor and they hire everyone back um but in a fallout of this transition all of those original authentication servers go down so no more keys are available um so as of november 2005 which is where we're at now no one knew, so no new explorers can join these old servers. And then in February of 2006, there is a surprise. Cyan introduces their own until Uru server. Now, prior to this, all of the servers are operated by fans, right? But now Cyan Worlds has an official server. It's called Damala. And they decide to provide free keys for explorers to join. They don't bring the original authentication servers online. So online, so again, no one new can access those old ones. They still exist. The people that already got on it are still doing their thing on it, but no one they can't bring anyone new into the fold. And it really doesn't matter though, because now there's an official server. And all you really have to do is reach out to Cyan Worlds and they're going to give you a key to join it. As a result, pretty much everyone migrates over to the official server, except for the Age Builders group. They can't do what they do on official servers. So they stay on fan operated servers to keep creating new content over there. I mean, really, it's a mess, right? Like you have a you have a solution now, but you have a divided community and really the solution, like these are all have been cobblestone solutions, you know? Right. Then in May of 2006, there is a glimmer of hope. Cyan worlds announces that they have partnered with Turner broadcasting and that they're bringing mist online. Uru live officially to their upcoming game tap subscription service did you ever have a game tap subscription rob can't say that i did dave do you remember game tap i can't say that i do dave <laughs> okay yeah you would have been like nine at the time okay that makes sense so for those of you who don't remember game tap it was an online subscription based video game service so it was like we have game pass now and playstation plus and all this but back in 2006, we didn't have any of that. GameTap was one of the earliest versions of that that I can remember. You know, this is really, this is still really early on in the history of digital game distribution. Steam came out, I think, in like November of 2003. So we're probably not even like, by the time this was announced, we're not even three years into a digital distribution service. And no one was like no one was doing this from the standpoint of we're going to sell games online. Like that wasn't where we started. Like when steam started, it was, you go buy the game in stores. Oh, here also connect to our online game server. We'll give you all these added things like chatting and the ability to partner with your friends and everything. But it wasn't really an online store in the beginning. Like that came later. Or the emphasis for that came later. I mean, it may have been I didn't pay attention, but that wasn't the emphasis. It was it was a set of online tools. It was a you know online platform basically. 
So this is still really early on. There aren't subscription services. And Turner Broadcasting has this idea, right? They, there's a, there's a service out there. You know, first we had Netflix, which was video movie rental. You know, they used to do it as DVDs before a streaming service like they are now, in case you didn't know. And then there was a company that said, okay, cool. We're going to do Gamefly, which is the same concept, but instead of renting DVDs, you were renting video games. And I had Gamefly. I think I had a two game at a time out thing. It was super cool. And Turner Broadcasting got the idea, well, why don't we do that digitally? Why don't we make an online subscription service called and call it GameTap, where you can go online and you can play all these games in this online subscription service? And there were, like, in the beginning, it was a lot of old stuff. It was, like, they brought the Atari classics and the television classics and, and things like that to the service. But then GameTap started to announce original content. I remember one of the really big ones that they did was Sam and Max, which was an old game series, and they decided to do a reboot, and it was coming exclusively to to get the game tap service. And aside from that, they also announced that they were going to bring Mist Online to the service. I don't remember that, to be fair. I was not into that at the time. But yeah, so they're bringing... They're bringing Miss Online to GameTap. According to the vice president of GameTap's, the vice president of content for GameTap, they were attracted to bringing Uru Live back because of the persistence of the community of fans. So, closed beta testing begins in August of 2006. Open beta happens in December. And finally, 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 right? Finally, they released the single player version in November of 2003. So we're three and a half years later, February of 2007, Mist Online Uru Live was brought online to the GameTap service. As an actual game, no less. It had official content and official servers and ages and all that good stuff that it was supposed to have in the beginning, you know? Well, at least it got it. It it was... Uh, yes, they did. It was a journey in itself, no less. And it's exactly what it was advertised. You go back to the Restored City, you find books that have new ages in them. In proper MMO form, you can create your own avatar. Like I said before, in the single player, you have your own personal age which was basically a house that you could decorate to your heart's content. They did manage to make the world persistent. So an example that was given in an article I was reading about that concept, if a player kicks a rock, the next time a player logs in, that rock will be wherever the, the other player kicked it to. So people could move things around the dig site and kick rocks and, and so on and so forth. Wow, that's pretty neat. I mean, it's kind of cool. You know, Mist Online, it takes place in fictitious caverns beneath the Earth's surface. Thousands of years ago, there was the race for Mist called the Ni, Dini, Denai. I, I, I should have looked that up. I'm mad at myself. Anyway, they practice a craft known as the art. By writing special books describing a location, they created a link to that world. 
They had their own number system. They had their own language that was distinct from the humans dwelling above them. And according to the story presented in Mist Online, archaeologists much later on discovered the caverns and they teamed with a development studio, which was Cyan Worlds, to produce educational video games based on their findings. And in doing so, basically the whole original Mist series was brought into this world canonically, canonically, right? Nice. Isn't that kind of neat, the way they did it? That is really neat. A couple months later, in May of 2007, they, being GameTap, switched to episodic content. Each episode added new ages, new puzzles. It pushed the plot along, and things were looking fantastic. And then, in what should be no surprise, lo and behold, February of 2008, GameTap cancels Miss Sunline. Just, just gone. Gonzies. That's very unfortunate. Got, they got it for what? A year? A year. That's how long it lasted. Yeah, that could have been better. GameTap releases a statement. It says the decision was a very difficult one and was made for business reasons rather than due to any issues regarding the design and vision of the amazing world that Cyan Worlds and Rand Miller have brought to us. Despite the great Mist Online experience coming to a close, Cyan is still a very valued partner of GameTap. We are on excellent terms, and we look forward to continuing our relationship in the future. When asked... About the game's commercial failure, Miller responded, I'm always going to fall back on we were ahead of our time because it's easy. The biggest thing we did was an all or nothing proposal from an entertainment point of view. It's not like you can start up a new TV network and give one show a month and expect it to be successful. We couldn't quite pull that off with the money we had. So Miss Online is done for. They got it officially for a year. They got it unofficially for, what, three and a half years, I think I said? Yeah. Cyan Worlds is negotiating with GameTap over the game. They negotiate for months, and somehow, in the end, they were allowed to retain the rights to Mist Online for no charge. Oh, damn. Cyan announces that they are committed to resurrecting the project again, giving fans a chance, as they said, to explore and create content. What they proposed was a new version of the game called More, literally M-O-R-E, or Miss Online Restoration Experiment. And their plan was to open the game on their servers but with no plan to create any new content for the game. Instead, they were going to open the servers, but give fans developer tools that would allow them to create new content for the game. But what should not be surprising at all for this at this point, because this has not been a great story, Cyan Worlds did not stay financially solvent. And... In November of 2008, 
they were forced to lay off everyone but seven employees. That crew turned Cyan into an open, or turned more rather into an open source project. The source code was given to fans. The tools were given to fans. Over the course of the next three years, in April of 2011, everything Uru Live was released under an open license. It still exists today, actually. You can go to mistonline.com and you can play uh, something that they now call Mula, which is Mist Online Uru Live again. <laughs> nice. That's fantastic. <laughs> it might be my favorite part of the whole damn thing. So the fans took it, right? The fans took it. The age builders took it. Everyone took it. Uh, Cyan World said, here, we can't we can't figure out how to make this work. You guys do it. And the fans did. And now it exists online. It's completely free to play. You can go on there. You can download it. You have to join their Discord and request a key, but they don't charge for it. But you can download the whole Mula project and get a key from the community. And you can play the entirety of Mist Online for free. Even to this day. It's free to play and it's still kicking. Cyan Worlds, as a side note, they did not stay down forever. Uh, they kickstarted their next game, actually, which was called Abduction. They ended up earning, like, their Kickstarter was $1.3 million. <laughs> so a lot of people wanted a new game. They advertised it as a spiritual successor to Mist and Riven. Uh, which it was, and they ended up creating a great game with it, and it got them back on their feet. It originally released in 2016, and they worked on abduction, like porting it to different platforms through like 2020. 2020, I think we got our last version of it, which was an Xbox One version of it. In 2018, they kickstarted another game. Uh, it was a VR game called Firmament. It also sewed well. So, I mean, you know, they had, they took their licks and they, they came back and started creating great games again. As we learned in our missed episode, they have since then been successful remaking Mist and now other games in that series. In 2020, they released a completely modern VR version of Mix, Mist, and then they later trickled that version to non VR platforms in 2021. And at the moment, they are giving the same treatment to Miss sequel Riven. Fun little fact about Riven. The sound design on the original version of Riven was done by Martin O'Donnell, who was nobody back then. I, I say that, I don't really know. But he's much more famous now because he composed the soundtrack to Halo. So, Right. Which is kind of interesting to think that the guy who did the Halo soundtrack once worked on Riven, once worked for Cyan Worlds, no less. So... Well, hey, everyone goes from place to place, you know, everyone goes from place to place. But yeah, it it. Man, ups and downs, right? Ups and downs like the development cycle of Uru is so tied to Cyan and they took their licks. The game took it licks and like the company and the game just kept fighting back like clawing from the brink of <laughs> brink of like eradication to the nail being like nope i'm still here you can't keep me down and and here we are 14 years later 15 16 2000 what six was the first one 2003 was the first one so 11 
they both still exist. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, it's kind of a cool story when you think about it, you know? Definitely is. I would highly suggest, because this was very much more a history of later Cyan Worlds. If you're interested in this, I would very much suggest going to check out a the history of Cyan from the beginning, which was our missed episode, which we did recently. And of course, if you want to go check out any of our old episodes, you know, this was a very heavy week in gaming history. We did a lot of great episodes in it. And we have the missed episode. You can really check out any of them by going to our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people do on our website? Well, Dave, you can find a calendar of our upcoming episode topics. You can find a link to our Discord where you can come talk games with Dave or I. You can find links to our Patreon where you can get access to ad-free and unedited versions of our episode. And you can find links to our social media where I am on several platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong. Each week, we're going to tell you a story. It's usually a story about one topic from gaming history, people, places, things, consoles, mostly people, and companies. But each week as we tell you the story, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. In telling you the stories, the best part about telling you the stories, rather, is that we learn things. Every week when we sit down and we do our research, many of these we don't have a lot of experience with the development backgrounds in it. So we inevitably learn the same way you do. And it's fan- it's such a pleasure to be able to bring that to you week after week after week. So it's a great cycle of learning and teaching. And in recognition of said great cycle, we like to talk about our takeaways every week. So, Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, uh, I did not know a lot about Mist itself till uh, you know we talked about it, but I didn't at all know that there was an online, and then another, and you know another, and, and then another, and another, and another. Yeah, I again this this whole thing just managed to slip by me, and it's it's just crazy to know that. You know, I mean, we've discussed Mist and just to know that it turned into something like this, like it's just it's a lot. I mean, but it's not a genre that's. It's it's just not a popular genre. I mean, it's not it's it's not surprising. It's just not a popular genre, you know. I mean, I suppose, but it's it's still just interesting, but also got to love the name Uru. It's it's fun to say. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is very fun to say it is. So what about yourself, Dave? This whole this whole story, I I don't remember Mist Online in any way, shape or form. This completely escaped me. You know, I remember the reason why we're doing this episode is because when we did the episode on Mist and I did my research, I tripped on this story and said, I really want to go back to this story because as I read it and saw how the fans kept it alive and the company went under and the company went under. That's really how it came to me. Cause I, you know, I always do history on the companies. Um, I was like, this is just so fascinating the way they're intertwined with one another. Um, this whole thing, this whole thing was a, was new to me. 
I, if I had more time this week, I would have liked to have gone to play it. I'm still thinking about going to play it. It looks fascinating. Just as, I mean, the art design on all the Myst games was really gorgeous. And I, I want to see if it aged okay. So, you know, just out of morbid curiosity, I thought about about visiting the world of Uru. But yeah, this whole thing was this whole thing was a little knowledge gap for me. That's no longer a gap. It was a really fun story to tell. So right on, Dave. Awesome. Well, Rob, before we take a look into next week, is there anything that you'd like to add to today's episode? As always, I want to take one quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. It means the world to us to have you here, and we hope that you enjoy the ride with us. So thank you for listening. Yes, indeed. Thank you for listening for sure. Well, we had an amazing journey today, delving into the mysterious realms of Mist Online, but... As the saying goes, all good things must come to an end. Today's roller coaster of will he, won't he is thankfully giving way for a little bit of consistency in our lives. Just as the Mist Online was set up to tell story after story, each in their own age, the series that we're going to be visiting next week tells a similar story over and over, but each in its own setting. For next week's episode, we're going to go back to the beginning of the story, the very first iteration of a tale that's now as old as time, so to speak. Next week, Rob, we're going to be stepping back in time to look at the origins of Zelda. We're going to visit its dungeons. We're going to uncover the secrets of Hyrule. Is there more to learn about the original Legend of Zelda? We'll find out. In the meantime, Rob, take this. Yeah, that was a cheesy one, but I love it. All right, join us again next week as we adventure after the Triforce on yet another trip down memory card lane to the thing. Skibidi, da 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 da